if we're for reflecting on what we've been discussing, could you say that the art that you're not excited about, Joel, is mm. doing the same thing you've that you've seen before. It's not trying to pursue anything new with a different technology or a different or new philosophy behind it. Not necessarily. Um, another quote from The Sopranos comes to mind. <laughs> a hit is a hit is a hit. <laughs> if someone writes a really good pop song, I'm not going to hate it because it's a really good pop song or it sounds like the Beatles or it sounds like some other pop artist wrote it. If the melody is new and it's good, fuck yes. Mm. If it takes too long, don't play me a five and a half minute song. Just don't do it. Mm. Sometimes do it if it's good, but like in general, don't do it. And sometimes you do need that five minute song to like get to the two and a half minute song. That's Yeah, but really it's not good. what you play at the open mic. Yeah, but are you really going to... It's track 10. As much as it is track 10, sometimes it is like, this is my only time where I get to demo this out before I'm going to try and record this. Does this have the stuff or does this suck with scrutiny of the audience? And maybe you've experienced that where you're with the audience scrutiny and maybe they're like we'll revisit that song and like maybe you'll see them a year down the line they're gonna play that five minute song but suddenly it's a two and a half minute song with completely new sections in it a bunch of bloat cut out and there's Mm. something special to it it's important to allow that experimentation it's important to allow like a novice to be a novice for Mm -hmm. example like you know just write people off because they wrote three songs and only half of one of them was good I don't just write people off. Like, mm. I think that's important to say. I don't write people off because their songs bore me. There is character and charisma to take into account. There's a lot of things to take into account. When I say that bad art bores me, the way that I would classify bad art is that it is performed or distributed with confidence and it's completely lackluster and there's nothing original about it and there is nothing catchy about it and there's nothing familiar about it. Mm. I think a lot of good art, this isn't always the case, I think a lot of good art kind of goes back to the artistic lineage thing. Like there's a, there's a through line that allows certain art to be good, and part of that is that it sounds familiar. Or there's some kind of familiarity, some kind of like indelible element of the human experience that we recognize in a good piece of art. Hmm. And it can be a familiar melody. Sometimes my favorite songs sound a little bit folky but aren't quite folky but they've just got that little bit of a traditional sounding thing in their melody and i'm like oh this is fun and sometimes it's something that really pushes the envelope and it's just like the rhythm is there but the melody isn't anything i've ever heard before it sounds completely unfamiliar um so speaking about music in particular like there's just i don't know i don't think i don't know that there i that i have the words to describe this well and i hope that i've been doing an okay job so far But I've always kind of had this, like, my aversion to cover bands is well documented. (laughs) So for more on that, listen to other things that I've done. But (laughs) the reason for that, just quickly, and it's okay if people aren't like this. But to me, being an artist has always been about, like, it's about creating the world that doesn't exist yet that you want to inhabit. Mm. And I feel like a lot of art is made where... This is a big claim, but I, th- I feel like a lot of art is made where like if that person forgot that they were the one who wrote that song and then they heard it, it would bore them to tears too. Mm. You know, like a lot of people I think create because they want to be the one creating. 
and not necessarily because they want to put the thing into wor- the world that the world is missing. Mm. And that's kind of what I mean by bad art bores me. Mm. It's like, we can do without this. Yeah. The world isn't missing this. You just you created this because you want to be a creator. But there was no filtration process in the creation of this thing. You didn't ask yourself, does the world need this? You didn't ask yourself, like, is this what is missing from the canon, right? Mm-hmm. And that is an important question to me that I ask myself. But does an artist need to feel the drive to submit to the canon of good songwriting? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah. I, it's okay that people aren't like that. It's okay that people go out and play mostly covers because there's an audience for that. Mm-hmm. It's okay that people are, I don't know, I've, I talked enough, but like, no, I don't, I don't think that. But that's just, I'm just saying that that's what bores me. Yeah. Part of me is taking like your conclusion to the extreme in my head. Because you talk about artists that create just to create. It's like, I look back on arts made by people in their 20s who just made music because it's fun or painted because they enjoyed it. Like, Mm -hmm. because, I don't know, to cite an example, like, Slow Gherkins Shed Some Skin. It's not a new song. It's like, when they wrote it, it's about the indecision of being in your 20s and life being, like, all over the place and sometimes stupid evil does bad things to you and like growing out of those kinds of pains i don't think there is an intent there to write something that it's going to be canonized in the american songbook but they wrote something because they wanted to wrote something because they felt something not contributing anything new like just talking about something that was very real to them Mm. like yeah it's again like taking what you're saying to a, a logical extreme but like I think there's something to be said about sometimes the simplicity, like playing a good song and like adding new context to it. You can have the same shitty Led Zeppelin cover band playing day in and day out. But you have someone that adds a little bit of a novel twist to it, to a a song of theirs during a live set. Might got something special there. Not trying to say like Led Zeppelin's music. (laughs) <laughs> like with just one thing changed is going to like change all the music forever. But there may be something a little bit special that you never thought about before. If someone with the right brain at the right time just decides, eh, I want to toy with this and I feel like it. Well, and every once in a while that happens, you know, like Wolf Mother kind of had that going on. Maybe they were a little bit closer to Black Sabbath, but like they had those Led Zeppelin comparisons and that newer band whose name I forget right now, Greta Van Fleek. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's is fleet. It fleet or fleek? It's fleet. Like, but fleet. It, it, it's yeah, fleet. Okay. <laughs> I've always thought it could be either. <laughs> yeah. Fleek is like a very quickly antiquated uh, piece of slang. So it's very funny. It ended up in there to me. Oh, really? Oh, I know <laughs> yeah. someone with the last name Fleek. So I think that's why I made that confusion. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like that happens every, every once in a while. And it's like, it's never. The comparisons being made aren't necessarily what, like, determines if it's old or new, you know? Like, someone can sound like a band from long ago. That doesn't mean that they're not releasing new, valuable material. One thing that's interesting to me, too, about this, though, is, like, art is so driven by aesthetic. Like, art just kind of writ large, like, whatever medium you're talking about. And I think it's almost erroneous to, like, think of it as a discipline, the way that a lot of people do approach it. Like when we're talking about like the validity of art or the role that art plays in our lives, it's like, 
it can be a discipline in relation to other things in certain contexts, but in reality, mm. it's kind of just this, this facet of the human experience. It's like, it's this thing that is crazy subjective and kind of happens at all times in all people in some way. So it's like, because I used to be a real hard ass about what art had to be or what music had to be. And it came from a passionate place. You know, it came from like wanting the stuff that I thought was the coolest stuff in the world to be able to get through and not to the exclusion of other people's art, but it was just, I would be way more critical of somebody that I thought wasn't like pushing themselves when I thought that they could be, mm. you know, it was kind of like, come on, you could have written a better, like I, I've vented about <laughs> a couple of lyricists on this, I think, uh-huh. <laughs> um, where I'm like, you really couldn't have done better than that. Like, gee, it pisses me off. But yeah. at a certain point I just got to this level where I was like, I don't really care anymore like it just isn't an interesting argument anymore because it's just like if somebody's a painter and they just want to make stuff to go on motel room walls okay fine like i'm not going to go to the fucking days in over the mfa or over the isabella stewart gardner or something but i'm glad there's not bare ass walls in there when i am staying at the days in right other people might be like oh this is really cool and that's like what they want to lock in with ultimately it has no bearing on me it's just to me if i'm in the mood for a painting I can do better as a consumer than that. Mm, yeah. And that's a completely personal, completely self-contained thing. That's not a judgment on that person's abilities. So then it kind of, when I started thinking that way, it started to get kind of exciting, you know, cause it started to be like, well, now I'm going to go out and hunt for this shit. Like now I'm going to go try to find the coolest painting or the coolest mm-hmm. song, or the coolest whatever. And I'm going to like cut all that other stuff aside. Mm. And like, I don't know, it just focused it in a way that I felt like got a lot healthier than when I was like 18 and I felt like I needed to be the arbiter of all this stuff. And like, mm-hmm. I think that's like healthy, like at the time in a way it's, it helps you grow. It helps you like develop your own tastes and opinions. But now I'm just at this point where I'm like, who gives a shit? It's all aesthetic. Like nobody's art is doing chest compressions on a dying man or like <laughs> pardoning a criminal. Like we're just singing fucking songs. So if yeah. you need it to absolutely turn you on, then go for that stuff. And if you need it to just calm you down while you're staring at the wall of a Ramada, then do that. Like at the end of the day, it's all just, it's a document of the fact that we've lived. And to that point, I have friends that would say that like art is not art unless it makes a statement or art is not art unless it like, I guess takes a stance in some way or like contributes to some evolution of social thought or something like that, you know, like, yeah. I don't entirely agree with that. I think that that's a marker of whether or not art is effective. Mm. I would say that like that is one of the ways that art can be the most effective, but it's not the only way for it to be effective. Like you're saying, like sometimes you just need decorations. <laughs> and it can okay also too. be a good measuring stick against what somebody thinks their art is. You know, if you're yeah. looking at like a specific person's record and they're purporting themselves to be this cutting edge artist and this record is going to like blow the top off this current generation and like turn the page and all this kind of stuff. But you're looking at it and saying like, this is banal. This was done by the fucking Rolling Stones, whatever you, you didn't do anything like then it becomes a little bit more valid. I think it's, it can still be mean as hell, but it's like, it's at least contextually more valid because you're measuring one thing against another based on the information both people are throwing in but as far as zooming out and saying like here's what art is and here's what art has to do it's like you could say here here's what breathing is here's what it has to do but then like and this isn't always true i don't think this this scales very well but like at least in some instances 
you can kind of sense what an artist's purpose was, you know, mm. like if, if that piece of art, right. Was to make some declaration about social change that needs to happen or like something like that. You can almost always sense that purpose if it's a song, cause the lyrics will tell you so. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's harder with, at least it's harder for me with visual art. I'm not a very visual arty person. Some people can probably pick up on that better than others who are have a more trained eye or maybe it comes to them naturally. I don't know what that's like, but there's at least like a purpose that you can, even if you're just making it up and like assigning it to that thing with no validity to back it up at all uh, or no authorial intent to back it up at all. Like you can assign meaning to a piece of art that is only shared between you and that piece of art and not necessarily between you and the artist, right? Like, the best art, I think, comes at you with a purpose. Mm. Probably that's more the more accurate way to say that bad art bores me. It's like <laughs> bad art does not strike me as having a purpose or does not strike me as having been created purposefully. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it's even a, like it could be seen as a combination of, you know, the resonance that might happen when your purpose collides with that artist's perceived purpose, you know, yeah. like... If that doesn't resonate resonate in something that resembles meaning, then yeah, it holds no value. Like you can be polite or you can be whatever, but like it's serving no earthly function at that point because it exists aesthetically and the aesthetic isn't appealing. Like yeah. that's it's failed in its own its only role. Right. But if it's like <laughs> and that's what I mean by when I was saying earlier, like it it's not like it's physically saving somebody's life or like bailing somebody out of prison or whatever. Like it's just kinda if it doesn't excite you or doesn't trigger that that feeling of of meaning or purpose or whatever, then, you know, it's just not the right one for you. Mm-hmm. I think it, it can be a judgment on the the artist, but it can also just be a reflection of, like, kind of where you're at mm-hmm. and that in relation to what they were doing, you know? And it doesn't mean that, like, you have to circle back around that and grow to accept it and all that stuff, but it's just, like, yeah, ships passing in the night, you know? I would also add as a little bit of a mini tangent, but just like to revisit something. I'm speaking like an expert on all things aesthetically pleasing <laughs> or, or all things purposeful in art. And I would just like to say that I don't like folk punk, but folk punk, a lot of folk punk songs have been written with more purpose than I have ever put into a song. And a lot of folk punk musicians have created shared social experiences that I will never create with my own music. So like, who am I to say (laughs) what art is good and what art is not and what that art accomplishes by virtue of its being performed to people who receive it well and who prefer people who do see a purpose to it, you know? So actually I'm not saying that I don't see a purpose to folk punk. I just don't personally enjoy listening to it, Mm. but like, I'm sure there's a lot of that, that like I, just kind of miss out on because it doesn't strike my ears the same way as it strikes someone else's, mm. you know? So I don't want to come off sounding like I'm um, kind of highbrow about all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the folk punk genre, which can be rough, but it's a pr- I think a lot of the material that comes out of it, the a lot of the journaling nature, at least of like the majority of like the most prevalent stuff, is in itself important in their own ways maybe like the things that they're journaling about aren't relevant to you but the people the 10 or 12 friends that they're playing to could be something that they've wanted to hear their whole lives or a message that 
it's hard to express for themselves. Yeah. You know, you can go to a club and you can hear a band that plays the equivalent of I am the man who rocks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like you will, it will, it will blow past you. Cause it's like, I am well past uh, like displays of masculinity on that. end. I am mm-hmm. in my late twenties, just kind of enjoying myself. But for that dude, who's just kind of there and for everyone else who's just there to enjoy themselves and not think about like the world, like it speaks to them and to be an arbiter of whether that's a valid piece of art is it's Matt's example. It's passe, like just enjoy the stuff and seek out what really thrills you at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, sometimes there'll be stuff from the other side of the aisle that you, that you at once would have written off that will be influential in ways that you'd not even expect it to be. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they grow into liking pop after hating it for decades. And like they, because they find like a couple of things that like reach across the aisle and like tell them like, Hey, there's actually something here. You know, there are also people who love to hate certain kinds of music. Yeah. Like every, every Christmas season, which we just went through, like, I don't know about you guys. I see all like the whamageddon stuff. On Facebook. And that like I I like that song. It's a well written song. It gets tired, sure. Like <laughs> if when it gets played everywhere you go for an entire Christmas season, I get that. Yeah. I think I made it through this whole one without hearing it once. Yeah. Uh but I wasn't trying not to hear it. And like it kind of annoys me that people try not to hear I don't know what you guys' opinions are. <laughs> but like I think Last Christmas is a is a wonderful little ditty. Yeah. Um and like this is also like I probably would have tried not to hear it at some point in my life. Like this is also me speaking as like a an older person who just I don't know. Songs are fun sometimes. Like they don't need to be anything but fun a lot of the time. Hmm. Everyone got so sick of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, like, so quickly, because it was overplayed. I managed not to hear that song for, like, a, a, a at least a year or two after it came out. Like, I would hear about it all the time. And then when I finally heard it, I think I was walking through Kohl's, Matt. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Buying some grandpa sweaters and, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, hearing Shake It Off, I was like, this is what everyone's hating on now? This is catchy as fuck. Yeah. If, like, sometimes all a song needs to be as catchy as fuck. Side tangent, I think in that particular instance, a lot of group hate comes from like modern memetics where it'll just become popular to dislike an item Mm. and a piece of culture, a piece of art. Right. And to kind of, I don't know, as a participant in the culture, rip into it for unknown reasons or reasons that are very flimsy, but just the fact that you're participating makes you feel like you're part of the special club. Mm. Like. Group hate on something that doesn't really deserve the hate is tiring just as much as it is like, oh, I don't like participating in people taking shits on Greta Van Fleet or the Interrupters or whatever. You mean Fleet? Like, <laughs> sure, yeah. <Okay>. But like, because <laughs> like half the time, they, they, they some reasons aren't even valid or it's overblown to prove a point. Yeah. And like... <laughs> Just let some art be art and, you know, just call out like the real bad shit amidst it when you see it. Like if someone's not supporting a scene underneath them, by all means, make it aware. Just let let sometimes let artists be art. Oh, unless they're also predators. But that's also logical stream. But I think something that's even 
cool about art and being a consumer of art is the fact that you can dislike it in an interesting or witty way. Mm. Like that, that contributes just as much to the existence of that piece of art as the notes do. If you think about it, because think about yeah. like, it's, it's not just, you know, some jackass on like a social media, like, so yeah, yeah, I hate Taylor Swift too. Like, cause you're right. Ian, like that is exhausting after a while, like that kind of stuff. It is just physically tiring. Cause I mean, I think it, it actually is like on a mental level cause you have to be polite or you have to fight them or you have to process it. Like, I think that it actually does demand energy, but to like process that after a while. But yeah. when you contrast that with somebody who's like, I don't know, a really like, think about like the heyday of like Rolling Stone critics and writers mm -hmm. where like you would read mm -hmm. the review of a new record partially because the reviewer is kind of a freaking artist. Like mm. even if they're shitting on someone and you disagree, they shit on them in such a pointy, funny, divisive, yeah. kind of exciting way that now you want to just shoot back. And it's like cultural paintball, you know? Like nobody's getting killed, but like you're you're ducking behind shit. You're kind of, you know, it's just like you're in the mix. It's fun. And if you're going to dislike somebody's art and you still feel like passionate enough to engage with it, at least do it originally, you know? Like I made yeah. it a point for a while to go to the library when I found they had all the CDs up on the top floor. And I was just going through the alphabet and just getting all the CDs and like going home and listening to them. And this started because I have like a, a deep hatred of Ted Nugent. And, <laughs> and I realized I don't think I can explain in one sentence or less why, it, which felt funny to me. I was like, I'm not saying that I'm going to come out of this like saying, oh, I actually really love the Nuge, which I found out from the liner notes of what he's called. But... um. <laughs> But I, uh, yeah, I was like, it's actually, it feels important to get all of these records of all of these artists that I think I might just think are shitty because I hear that they're shitty and actually listen to them and develop my own passionate conclusions for no purpose. Like I'm contributing nothing to the world with that, but at least it's interesting. Cause then if I hear someone saying, I think Ted Nugent's the greatest, I can be like, okay, like buckle up motherfucker. And then we can have like a good time with it. Like and it's, it's a good it doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be anything meaningful. It's just we're both engaging with this art. We're kind of sparring. It's cool. Otherwise, mm. I could just sit there politely and pretend that I'm cool with that, and that's boring. That doesn't do anything. Mm. So mm. I was like, I realized through that process that engaging with art, whether publicly or privately, in a sort of unique or meaningful or exciting way, even if it's bad to you, kind of still counts. And if I can't satisfy that, criterion or the criterion that says oh I like this and it turns me on then I just move on but now there are plenty of artists where it's like no I like sparring about this like this is fun not because I feel like I'm going to come out right every time but because I might or I might learn something or I might find an aspect of it that I do actually like and I can take and put in my own art like mm -hmm. you know it's just I think that's a really kind of cool and unique thing about art specifically is it's it's kind of open season in that way and the stakes they feel high as a creator because you your feelings can get really hurt sure but when you take some of that kind of in stride there's not a lot of other experiences that you can have as a human being where you make something and somebody's allowed to take a shot at it and that's part of it and it's okay so i feel like engaging with that in a healthy way is actually kind of a privilege yeah it's interesting thinking about like Help me out with the name of the critic 
who wrote for Cream magazine. Oh. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman played him in Almost Famous. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Lester Bangs, was it? Yes. Yes, Lester Bangs. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, I would have never gotten there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, him. And, like, I also think of the the restaurant reviewer from the movie chef, like Mm. these archetypes that we have who like show up to experience something new and like all the better if they have bad things to say about them, because that gets consumed as its own form of art. It's just like how much they can hate on this new thing for not being good enough, clean enough, radical enough, pushing the envelope enough. Like, yeah. And you as the artist or the chef in response to that could at least hypothetically sit down across from them and say, hey, what the fuck? And like slap right. the newspaper down and <laughs> yeah. they would have something to say. Yeah. If you did that to some bumblefuck blogger who just hates Taylor Swift because it's 2019, <laughs> they have nothing to say. They probably right. ask for an autograph and then right. sell it on eBay. Like that is banal layer after banal layer after banal layer. Like that to me is where it's like, all right, let's reel this shit in a little bit. But like, you know, at least, I don't know, just make it count. Like, again, it's back to the artifice idea of it. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't do anything else. So at least make Mm. it cool. You're saying it's really interesting because for the last several years, I've written off a lot of reviewer type people because I felt like a lot of what they offer to the table is pointless Mm. You know, we're see- we're seeing a tr- current trend in reviews where the art of their review sometimes takes up more time to consume than the art itself that they're consuming. Mm. Sometimes their commentary can just fall flat as like they're trying to sometimes fulfill an artistic purpose, like portraying a character. For example, nostalgia critic, someone ripping into. Uh, nostalgic media and offering a perspective on it, sometimes being a caricature of a reviewer or caricatures of moments in the film, or sometimes portraying a caricature of a mindless critic in like some sort of weird, I would say subversive way of critique. There's a whole realm of that that has got me exhausted by people who just endlessly rip into media and I've like I've stepped away from like trying to be an active critic of media. Yeah. But maybe just having seen all of that and having seen people will like get obsessed with a character, get obsessed with making something greater out of a review. It's like made me less enthused about that and just want to see like what people are talking about, what what what's exciting about this piece of media. Yeah. But maybe the, maybe there is something though too. People who make some make art out of it, make the discussion, and maybe I should participate more because maybe when we shut out the people who are critiquing and try to create a discussion, we shut out what is possible around us in the world to like see like how we can take these notions that we're pursuing in art and twist them around because we shut out people who are just saying, oh, the music's good or the music's not because they offer some sort of sometimes overbearing personality on top of it. Yeah. Sometimes those people with overbearing personalities may be the most right in hindsight, and we just never know about it until this moment. Well, that's the, the thing is, like, it's not even whether or not they're right. And in fact, I think it's kind of important to note, at least related to that last point, that it doesn't matter, and, and I don't think they can be right, like a mm. critic, because it's a weird role. Like, I'm with you as far as being burned out on them, like... 
intellectually, this is where I stand on them. But practically, you know, as a member of culture, like I don't seek out the words of the critics. I think it is kind of a fundamentally useless role. Although I guess, I mean, I would put it on the same level as like a buzzard or something in like an ecosystem. Like it's, they're just fucking scavengers. Hmm. But at the same time, those are valuable in their way. And it is a similar, when I do feel contempt for them, it's a similar thing, like you're saying, like there's this this burnout on it and on some of the negativity of it and stuff. And I think it's a similar thing to what Joel was mentioning about the, um, like a bad open micer is like the frustration again comes from just being like, you know, you're not bringing anything to the table. Like on some level you have to know that. And like, you think that those are always the know. critics, <laughs> but like they're, they're too comfortable or they're too like, yeah they're just showing up to show up. Like they're just showing up because they feel like they have the pen and they're the voice. And to me, those are the ones that are unoriginal and unexciting because they are coming into it. Like they're the arbiter of somebody else's art Mm -hmm. and that Mm. their vaunted opinion matters. And that's bullshit to me, Mm. but that's why I kind of like the passionate criticisms better because I think those are leaning into the fact that they're subjective and they're temporary and they're probably wrong. Because, like, I always think about, um, like, I don't know how the hell we keep coming back to the Beatles here, but (laughs) Johnny Ramone in some uh, Ramone's book I was reading talked about how when he was, like, a teenager, he went to see, (laughs) he went to see the Beatles at Shea Stadium. And I don't know how the logistics of this works. It shows how, like, shows have changed. But he brought a bucket of rocks (laughs) with him to throw, (laughs) so that he could throw rocks at the Beatles. (laughs) I was like, Jesus Christ, like he's just telling this story in this interview. And uh, he was really disappointed because he was positioned somewhere like near a home plate or whatever, and they were off in like center field. And that was his takeaway. Like somebody asked him like how the show was, and that was his takeaway was like, you know, I don't have the arm. I can't, I can't make it. And I was like, that's awesome. But then he was saying, yeah, but now like, you know, a couple of decades on or whatever, as a member of the Ramones writing pop songs – or playing them at least, like I'm looking back at the Beatles and going, oh my God, I was so wrong. Mm -hmm. Like these are great pop songs. Like these guys were awesome. And I I like that. Like that's kind of exciting to me because it's like, you've got this guy who found a really kind of funny, I mean, it's kind of fucked up, but like it's kind of funny, (laughs) like way of expressing his distaste for the Beatles. But then a few years later, turning on his heels just as passionately being like, oh no, I get pop now. Like pop is actually Mm. the shit. And I, you know, no matter what stage of that progression you tap into it at, there's an exciting point to be made or there's an exciting counterpoint to offer or there's, you know, you can engage with something. It's not Mm. just some like flaccid dipshit who's just sitting there like, I don't think pop music has any value. It's like, okay, (laughs) like I do. (laughs) End of discussion. (laughs) What does that bring us? That does nothing. But then there's also like something that kind of brings us back to the whole Vienna point, which is that I think, especially during the time that Lester Bangs was writing, there was probably a relatively small community of popular music reviewers. Mm -hmm. And people, I would imagine, might have followed them the way that people follow just music. You know, or like Mm. I've heard Matt Emmer Mm. talk a lot about like how they follow fish and how like they keep up with like the fish message boards and like everybody, you know, kind of they follow it kind of like sports rather than like music, you know, like it's a sports team and everything auxiliary to that and like the fandom. Mm. Right. Mm. I imagine people were probably like that with Rolling Stone. 
since yeah. that was like such a cultural institution back in its heyday. So I, I can imagine, like, I, I know that I've picked up Rolling Stone before and only read the reviews that were written by David Frick. Yes. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so there's writers that you follow just as much as there are musicians that you follow. And I would have to imagine that, like, especially back in the 60s and 70s, when that was still a relatively new thing, that people were probably into the idea of those reviewers just kind of like being characters that were in that scene. You know, like yeah. in the same way that people who go on message boards that are very specific to a niche interest that they have, like there are certain people who participate in those message boards that just like their voice is valued more so <laughs> than other people in the community, but like they're fixtures, you know, they're not, yeah. not celebrities necessarily that maybe they're not even making art per se, but they are fixtures in that community enough so that if you are a part of the community, and you follow it, whether it's because of some kind of fandom, whether it's because of some kind of hobby or whatever, it becomes like a source of entertainment, but also it is just a voice that is a fixture. And it's kind of a perspective, like calling up a friend. Like if you and I, if I listened to a record that I knew you probably also listened to, mm. I would want to call you up and be like, hey, like, what did you think of it? Because I know like if you liked it, it's going to be a cool conversation. Like if I also liked it, we're going to talk about that. If I liked it and you hated it, you're going to have a reason why that's either going to entertain me or educate <laughs> me or like, it'll be a good conversation still. Like yeah. no matter what happens, it's a part of my experience of that coming out. And I had the same thing with David Fricky. Like when I would read the Rolling Stone article, it comes out or the issue that comes out after like, I don't know, at the time, like my favorite Green Day album or something like mm -hmm. that era, I wanted to see what he thought of it. Right. Because his opinion was interesting to me. His style of expressing it was cool. He's a good writer. Just the whole aesthetic of Rolling Stone, it just felt neat, you know, like, just and like, you're, me, you're in something. To me, David Frick was like, he was always on the classic albums, documentaries, right? Like the VH1 yeah. things. And like, <laughs> it's so funny that we're talking about the kinds of writers who might have like completely lampooned a lot of those albums at the time that they were coming out, right? Mm. But then, like, he's in this generation of people who are able to get the younger generation into the older generation's art by praising it, mm. you know? And so, like, he's mm. he's part of the, a community that celebrates, not only, not only criticizes, but, like, largely celebrates pieces yeah. of art. And so, like, you look to him for what he celebrates and not just what he would <laughs> Lester Bang style completely <laughs> <laughs> shit on. So... so do you think a good critic is maybe something that is essential to like a, a the lasting of a Vienna moment, you think? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. It's like some Vienna moments can just like kind of be a flash in the pan there. But if there's no one to like take the piss out of you and to like motivate you into like, yeah, I can keep this momentum going. I'm going to fucking prove this asshole wrong. Like, yeah, maybe like the drive that you had to initially create. Like, I feel like there's always opposition that, like, influences some of the best music. Like, a lot of protest music is formed in opposition to social systems that need to be changed. Um, yeah. Young, rebellious music is rebelling against a system that, like, leaves them feeling disenfranchised uh, mm. one way or another. And always pushing against, like, what is what is a systemic authority or or, like, a perceived authority has fueled, like, better and better music. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this bad punk 
but there's always a lot of really remarkable punk music with a f- with something to say, yeah. and like a good chunk of it, I feel like has to come from its critics, like downplaying it, pissing on it, or pissing on the people in those spaces, making that music, making them feel less than. Yeah. Or elevating it in some cases too, like being mm. the megaphone that like a band puts out something cool and the critic, the right kind of critic is like, holy shit, do you, cause like, I agree with you. I like, I think you might be right here that it is a very necessary part of a Vienna moment, but I think it can be a source of like a counterforce or like an authority, but it can mm. also be just a source of like carbonation or something, you know, it keeps kind of the cultural or like the thought waters of that moment a little bit bubbly. Mm. And that can be expressed through panning a punk album and pissing off the band and getting them to write a better one or getting them to like do something in response that triggers another set of dominoes to fall. Or it could be someone, a reviewer, like I always think of like Nardwar, you know, like mm-hmm. somebody who is properly able to articulate the excitement of sitting in your room and hearing like that record and being like, holy shit. And like, you want to scream it from the rooftops. Like, he does it consistently. <laughs> like every yeah. person he interviews, it seems like he's tapping into that thing, whether it's genuine or not. But I think that's just as valuable and it's just as representative of a good critic as somebody who knows how to artfully pan something. Literally, I think two of the most effective critics have to be Anthony Fantano and Nardwar for Anthony. He seems to have a very distinct consideration for what's really important to culture at the time while having very thoughtful opinions about the music. I think there's no other reviewer out there like that, at least with the kind of platform that he has, where he's able to engage with people in such a way that, you know, he probably could have inspired people to create in ways just to spite him or to please like the kinds of followings that he's curating. The good ones are always fans. I think it comes down to that. Like Mm -hmm. the good critics are always in the mix with you. Like they're not sitting up in the box seats looking down at everything. They're they're a fan, just like you're a fan and I'm a fan and everyone like I think they're coming at it from that sort of trench level perspective. Mm. And there's a humbleness to that. No matter how aggressive you want to be as a writer or how passionate things get, you're shooting over each other's heads. You're not like taking pot shots from up high. Because you can tell, again, like you can tell like some of the reviewers, I think especially, I've seen it especially with like film critics and stuff. And I wonder if there's just a fundamental imbalance within that industry because not everybody has an opportunity to like go through the channels that allow you to make a movie the way like kind of anyone can like put a record together if they want at this point. Mm. But I think it's really necessary for a good critic to either be down on the ground, like in the scrum with everybody or to have done that for a long, long time and understand what that still feels like when they're writing. Because otherwise, like, that's where they start. To me, they start coming off as an arbiter. And, yeah, I mean, we've already kind of <laughs> circled that point. But... 